and welcome to the 172nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. On And on our Monday Drive Time show on WOON 1240 AM and www.onworldwide.com. I'm Ben, and opening the show today was my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Thank you, Ben. And we have no guests today, and we'll be talking mostly about ghosts. So please feel free to call in. Uh, locally, it's 401-766-1240. And nationally, 800-449-1240. Don't feel that you have to give your name if you want to report uh, or tell a story of your own ghostly experiences. Many people obviously are uh, a little bit antsy about doing that for fear of ridicule. However, what did the Ghostbusters say, Ben? We are ready to believe you. Uh, but very seriously, it's uh, uh, please feel free to, to call in and do that. Uh, we do hope to hear later on from... Uh, our good friend uh, Steve Fermani in uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, in the Hampshire area, and uh, he recently headed up the um, uh, this is a non-ghost thing, I guess, the uh, UFO uh, uh, festival in Exeter, which we were very warmly welcomed and had a wonderful time. Yes. He's going to uh, talk a little bit about that, but the mo- mostly today we're going to talk about ghosts. So again, feel free to call. It. All right, but we have to do our weekly paranormal contest because uh, it's yes. that time of the week. Because it's, it's Monday. <laughs> it's crazy Monday. <laughs> Alright, last week's question was, where in New England... Why did I say New England? Where... Well, yeah. So, where in England is the so-called talking tree? And the winner was Corey Sinclair of Carlsbad, California. Uh, the answer was Hassop Hall in Bakewell, Derbyshire, England. Uh, the tree supposedly whispers the name of the true owner of the property. Now, the place is now a hotel, so I sure hope they have clear title or else none of the guests get any sleepers. Yeah, I don't really get what the point of that talking tree is. No, so... That's the tree. Uh, huh. Oh, oh, you're funny. Um, we're keeping this week's question strictly local. So what road in Cumberland, Rhode Island is called is haunted by the so-called faceless ghost? If you can handle that, call us locally at 401-766-1240 or from anywhere in the U.S. at 800-449-1240. If I don't announce a winner during the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at ben at behindtheparanormal.com. And the winner gets a copy of Footsteps in the Attic, one of my dad's most popular books. Oh, I've seen that good. No, I haven't. So, um, all right, check this out. I guess my dad is the closest thing we have to a guest today because we didn't have any bo- anybody booked and we received demands from some people that we they want to hear us talk instead of other guests and stuff as interesting as they are. So Paul Eno was one of the first of the modern paranormal investigators. He started investigating reports of ghosts in 1970 when he was studying for the priesthood. He was mentored by some of the greatest experts of the 20th century, including Dr. Louisa Ryan, Father John L. John J. Nicola, and Ed and Lorraine Warren. They're probably the most famous out of the lot. And in the wake of the church's paranormal following, the recent release of the movie The Exorcist in 1973, my father was told to leave the seminary in 1977, one or two years before he would have been ordained to the priesthood. Well, everything happens for a reason. And he became an award-winning New England newspaper writer and editor, a well-known historian, and later wrote seven books, five of them about the paranormal. The other two were just about history and all that, all that good stuff. They write books about you. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, anyway, continuing the 
the biography, I said bibliography, and in his more than 20, uh, 2100, no, 1200 cases, he has battled poltergeists, dealt with many kinds of ghosts, and communicated with many kinds of apparently non-human entities. You've probably seen him on the History Channel, Discovery Channel, and Travel Channels, and heard him on many talk shows around the world, and this show right here, and his website is www.newenglandghosts.com. Well, thank you, Ben. Uh, today we're talking about the seemingly simple question, what are ghosts? Well, it might be a simple question, but it certainly doesn't have a simple answer. When I started researching ghosts 40 years ago, I came upon uh, uh, the thing using the usual assumptions that almost nobody questions that in a, now, and, and even few, the experts we have on the show frequently don't seem to question these things. Uh, for example, ghosts are spirits. Spirits. Or non-corporeal remnants of non-corporeal people died, Or... According to my theological training, uh, we're, we're, we're okay here. Right. What happened? People, I don't, don't, right? don't don't question. Just just don't keep going. Just just keep going. Anyway, uh, the assumptions being that ghosts are spirits, non-corporeal remnants of people who have died, or uh, according to my theological training, demons or servants of the devil. I believed, as do most of you still, that there was a quote spirit world that corresponds uh, to the material world in which we live. I assumed that there had to be religious or scientific principles behind all this that just hadn't been discovered yet. And a lot of people... Um, oh, all right. all right. Did anybody hear anything before this? Or? They heard Ben. So they you sound like you were far away. Yeah, you, they, well, it adds to the ambiance of the subject, I suppose. Well, well anyway... Or they could just barely hear you. Uh, well, you can always buy my books to, in case you didn't hear what I said. Anyway. Story of my life. All right. But from my very first on-site investigation, which was the famous Village of Voices affair in Pomfret, Connecticut in 1971 and 1972, I became both amazed and confused at what I was experiencing. Uh, because I was, as I say, applying these old assumptions that ghosts are spirits of the dead and all this stuff that people don't even question. By 1978, and the famous York, Maine Haunter case, all these cases we've talked about on the show, uh, that was a case in which one person was both a living student and a ghost haunting a house at the same time, I realized that none of what I believed was good enough. And there was a lot more to this than the campfire ghost storytellers would, would, have, excuse me, would have you believe or would, have, uh, or would even know themselves. So. Oh, yes. So, what started you off on the theories and methods that you use today? Okay, well, uh, actually, uh, we have to kind of go back to the very beginning, and I don't mean 1971. Um, you know, there's a common question people receive, and that's, you know, where were you born? And when were you born, you know? And you re- people usually reply quite untruthfully that they were born in such and such a place in this or that year. In fact, you were born out of eternal blackness some 17 billion years ago in an unimaginable blast of light, the primal explosion that hurled a storm of matter and antimatter in directions that hadn't even existed until that time. This is what astronomers call the Big Bang. And uh, there's some controversy now about this Big Bang, but generally I think it's to this first split second of creation that you have to look to begin to understand what ghosts are. 
Sounds like a strange way to approach it, but I think that's true. And that's because matter and antimatter weren't all that were created at the creation. Uh, space and time also seem to have had their origins in that instant in what physicists call, and this is again starting to get controversial again, they call it a space-time foam. Funny kind of, of metaphor, but if you picture in your bathtub, say, or in your sink, little bubbles uh, in there when you're doing your dishes or taking a bath or something, what do the bubbles do? They move around each other, they, they blend at certain points, sometimes they merge, at other times they pop. These are analogous to the world's that are apparently all around us at all times. This is what the math said. This is the, the, the wonderful fringe science, circus science, if you want to call it, of quantum mechanics, <laughs> where time means absolutely nothing and things take place before the things that cause them uh, and all this business. So anyway, I think we have to look back at that as our uh, clue as to what ghosts may be. Other worlds. And that is what sort of, what came to mind when I started doing these really strange cases. Because, you know, a lot of people today will, and I want to get to Ben here in a minute because Ben had an interesting experience yesterday on an investigation. Oh, yeah. A lot of, a lot of people uh, just, again, assume that these are, okay, we're here and there's a veil of some kind and some kind of spirit world. But I think it's far deeper than that. You look to this space time foam and you have many other sides, as it were. Many worlds. And I don't think anyone is dead in any of them. Well, in some of them, I suppose, yeah. But I mean, in the sense that people say, well, so-and-so died. So therefore, there's his spirit. You know, you, you can contact. Well, you know, I think that's baloney. And looking back to some of my early cases, such as the so-called Village of Voices case in Pomford, Connecticut, they called it that because people would go in there and hear the voices of the people who'd lived there 200 years before, presumably. We went in. I was a 17 or 18-year-old seminary student, and we had a group of seminary students and also a photographic expert went in and, uh, several places, several times over the period 1971-72. And we could hear farm implements we could hear dogs, cows, people talking, uh, mothers calling their children, children playing along a brook, but we couldn't see anything. We couldn't. We couldn't see it. Uh, there was one time. Matter of fact, I opened uh, my book, uh, uh, "Turning Home: God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny," uh, which I wrote in 2006, and with with this story of the ox cart driver coming down a path in this now overgrown area that had been this village and uh, hearing the hoofbeats and the wooden wheels, hearing the guy yelling, "Hya!" and the crack of a whip, and could not, about 20 feet away or so, couldn't say anything. Now, I hope to get back there, because I've done this kind of thing before, and I think I know who this guy might be. I think his name is Randall, because the Randalls and the, the people who gloried in the name of Higginbottom, it's a good old Welsh name, were the first people who lived in this village around the time of the American Revolution. And the thing lasted about 100 years until either the ground gave out or there was uh, a, a disease that wiped out most of the people and they moved away. But in any case, I think this guy's name might be Randall. The next time I'm over there and I hear this, I'm going to yell, Hey, Mr. Randall! And I've actually done things like this. Sometimes they hear you. And what do they think? They think that you are ghosts. Because on their side of this boundary of these worlds, this other side of the membrane of the bubble, if you will, in our space-time foam metaphor, they're living their normal, physical, everyday lives. 
They may have been dead here for hundreds of years, even thousands. But life's going on just as, as, as it would normally over there and in a million other worlds. So when you look at it, you can't die. It's impossible in the multiverse, in this whole reality. Because somewhere or somewhen, you, it's, it's all you, physical, body, everything. I don't even think your body can die. You go to funerals, I mean, that's the only evidence I've seen of that, but the leaf falls off the tree, well, so what? There are a million others still there, and still the same tree, the same life, the same force, the same energy, the same you, and there you have it. That is what a ghost is, I believe, as far as it goes. So, Mr. Randall, I'm going to talk to you next time I come over there to Pomfret. And um, I have, this is why I don't believe, and there's, there's a common conception, and fun, the funny thing was that in the early 70s, I was an early advocate of this theory, of the residual haunting. Well, this is some kind of a recording on the environment of, of something awful that happened, uh, or some, someone who had went through something terrible at this site, and it sort of got absorbed into the environment. Well, I suppose that's possible, but I began to doubt that, when I went into cases a year for, for a number of years and began to change them, uh, for example, if you there, there's a, there was a house in New Hampshire, and there was a, a sound that, that sounded the same all the time. Someone walking, uh, and and something like a ball dropping or bouncing at the same time. It was a kid, you know, in some other parallel world walking through, just bouncing his ball or basketball or whatever, or somebody in the future. Because a lot of these worlds are to are were to us would be the future. And I um, was able to talk to this kid. And he stopped, and he was absolutely terrified. I couldn't see him. But he thought I was a ghost. You know, because you find that when you do this, they're often more afraid of you than you are of them. And that sound was never heard in the same way again. So this so-called recording was changed because it wasn't a recording, apparently. It was an actual event going on in a parallel world, and the ducks happened to be lined up, the proper energies, whatever, electromagnetic fields, so that we could hear it. Simple as that. I don't know if you call that simple, but to me it is. All right. Now, I want to stop here for a moment and just uh, go to Ben, who has not had a chance to say anything. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> wake up. And uh, um, we did something interesting yesterday. We, uh, we have uh, our We? Friend, uh, you. Well, no, we, we have a friend, Brian West, who is... Um, uh, the uh, fellow at uh, he runs uh, Boston Paranormal Radio, and I have never met him, but uh, when we've been, I've been on his show. I believe the two of us have been on his show, and he invited uh, the two of us to come up to a uh, an interesting case that people suspected was well, they, they they would say demons, we would say parasites. Now we're getting into another area of ghosts that are that are not people living their lives; they are non-human entities who very often will pretend to be human entities in order to eat. They're life forms who feed upon our energy. And this is, as, you know, it sounds crazy. This is as real as it gets, folks. I've run into these things for 40 years. They are not pleasant. They are not our friends. But they're part of nature. Life is everywhere. Life is everywhere. Life has been found. Microbes have been found in the cores of nuclear reactors. Can you imagine a more hostile environment than that? That's worse than... The, 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 the sidereal space and the, so I mean apparently there are, there is life everywhere it has evolved uh, in many cases into these parasites we live if you want to say uh, between worlds 
uh, and can apparently reach, we've seen this happen on a number of occasions, reach tentacles as almost as if, as if they were octopi into uh, various worlds to feed upon whatever's going on there. So Ben, um, we, we never work with groups. We don't join groups because of the politics and the, we don't uh, we, we work in entirely different ways, but I thought it was a good experience for you to do this and uh, take it away. Tell us, uh, tell us how it went yesterday. Okay, after that amazing introduction. Um, so basically, we went up to this this house. I, I was the first to get there. No, I wasn't I, there. This is you're on your own. Okay. Anyway, um, so check this out. I went I went to the wrong place first. I was sitting in the parking lot for half an hour in front of the wrong house. And then I ended up getting to the right house and the woman there had had like tons of she had a lot of animals. <laughs> she had like three, four dogs, four cats and something like that. And she had her children moved out of the house like they were living with her sister, I think, because um because they this their problem was so bad like they like the kids would have like scratches and bruises all over them and they even got broken bones occasionally from these parasites and they claim like their father got got like picked up by child services because they thought that he was abusing the kids because the kids walk into school and the teachers see the bruises and stuff and they're just like they call child services and the, the dad can't be within like a hundred feet of the kids so he can't see his kids because, Restraining order, yeah. yeah because of these things and um so when everybody else got there, like a few seconds after I did, we went in and they got the story from the woman and I was just like, I'm just going to go walk around and stuff. And I was drawn to this one room and um, this the, it, there was just so much anger and hate and pain in this house. And me and um, Brian West and uh, I can't remember the other people's names. I'm so terrible with names. I'm pretty sure it was Christy and... Sharon, I think. Uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know you don't know, but I know. No, right. Kind of. And they were um, like Christy. I think was her name. She was like a shaman or something, and she was like a priestess at a spiritualist church. And then she brought her friend along, and then it was us for Brian West included in that group, and we were talking about our like what we found. And when Brian West and I went, we were went to the backyard because they're like, "Hey, go out check out the backyard." He was drawn to this spot where there was a ton of dead grass. There was dead grass all over the backyard, and then there were spots that were like overgrown and stuff. And apparently, in that dead grass, he walked over, and I went. I don't even know what happened, but I ended up over there, and he was like, "Ben, check this out. See what you feel from this." And I was like, "Okay," and. Like I, I felt like there was a dead, a dead boy buried in this, like eight, seven, eight years old, something like that. Like he was murdered, and so, like it just felt horrible. And I looked up at him, and he looked at me, and he was like, "You got the same thing too, didn't you?" And I was like, "Yeah." And then we, we conversed, like all of us conversed later on, and then we came to the conclusion that this place used to be like a foster home, like they used to take in like kids off the street. And nobody wouldn't care because this was like back in like 1918, so they didn't keep track of these kids. So they could just say, "Oh, these kids went up and left," but like they were abused and like murdered and stuff, oh, buried, the back, buried in the backyard. Animals were abused, buried that in happened. the backyard. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was like, it was horrible. It was like really sad and like painful. So we developed a plan of attack, and 
I brought a ton of sage with me. The shaman woman brought a ton of sage with her. So we were going to seal the house and stuff like that and do a little prayer ceremony. So we went up. We went upstairs into the room where um, I initially initially talked to the entities. And they're like, yeah, we're going to mess with these people. We're going to tell them what they want to hear. We're going to tell them that we're dead people and, and they're not going to believe you. And I was like, all right, yeah, whatever, man. And so I burned like a ton of sage. And then I, I don't remember what happened next. I barely remember anything that happened except... Everything went all white, and then everything just felt calm, and I heard a ton of children saying thank you. That's And it was probably the most beautiful experience of my life, mm-hmm. and I will hold myself true to that, Scout's Honor. That's beautiful. And, like, so they're going to do a follow-up soon, I think within the next few weeks, to see how everything's going, but Brian and Wes went back, and he's like, yeah, it feels much better up here now. It doesn't feel like he's angry and yeah. death and stuff like that. Well, needless to say, I'm proud of my son, but uh, I think that uh, follow-up is uh, the key word. Very often we just, um, you know, groups go in and they'll, they'll, even if they do it right, they don't follow up. We worked, there are cases we worked on for years, I'm thinking particularly of the one in Burrillville uh, here in Rhode Island, uh, which we've worked on for uh, it's actually over 10 years. And the shamanic approach does seem to have solved that. Uh, and I don't want to go into details. We're hoping to have him on the show too. But he's a great mentor to Ben and a, and a great friend of ours. He's a good guy. So, uh, what? Um, how um, is this? How this group? Usually, we're talking about. I guess it's Northeast Paranormal. Something like that. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't remember the name of the group. But we very often disc groups like that in this show, and, and that's not no, always fair. They're a nice. They're a nice group. Oh yeah, no, because very often we'll we'll go out and meet meet them, or they'll ask us to come and talk to them, or, or they'll, and we have lots of them. Obviously, we we'll listen to this show, and. Um, I've learned to respect many, many of the people who are out there uh, doing what um, uh, they do well, uh, and as far as it goes. Uh, maybe they don't have the same approach we do, but maybe we're wrong. Uh, we often refer to feral ghost hunters roaming in packs, because there are plenty of jerks out there doing the same thing. Yeah. But again, uh, I was re- really uh, really happy to have you go out there, and you sure did some good, and, and I'm, I'm real, real proud of that. that. That's great. Thanks. You stand on... Um, some real strong legs there, and uh, hopefully we'll start doing our TV show, and they'll stand in good stead. Thank you, Father. Okay. Well, so, um, let's. Uh, there are other cases, too, that uh, have illustrated how y- you can't... All, all I can think of is well, that, um, Bill Murray at the end of his, his TV show in Ghostbusters 2 says, that's a problem with, with his case, aliens, you just can't trust them. So... We're very, very wary of anything we learn from or are told by any of these entities. And when we come back, I'll tell you about one or two cases uh, that uh, have uh, that really convinced me the hard way that that was the case. And um, we will uh, maybe uh, hopefully get a call from our friend uh, Steve Fermani and any of you uh, who would like to talk to us about this subject. Again, 766-1240 locally, 401-766-1240. And also... Uh, 800-449-1240 anywhere in the country and you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno our Monday Drive Time Edition on WON 1240 AM and com in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley now I'd like to take just a moment to tell you about our friends over at American Beauty Sign Works. Oscar Hancock and his sons uh, working on the uh, signs over there of all kinds of vehicle wrapping, and they do all our signage for us when Ben and I go on the road. Uh, they did a beautiful banner for us and stuff when we went, and a beautiful microphone flag when we went up to the um, Exeter UFO Festival uh, two weeks ago. 
and uh, that it was just uh, people were just drawn to us. Uh, I think the signage had something to do with this. A lot of uh, listeners came up and said hello. Really appreciated that, and other people who didn't know who we were who wanted to know, and uh, they'll do uh, signage of all kinds, uh, vehicle wraps, uh, banners. I remember he wanted to wrap Ben's car. No. Uh, <laughs> It's a very unusual-looking car. Uh, truck lettering, A-frames, magnets, uh, business cards, envelopes, you name it. Lighted signs, channel signs. They handle a lot of the uh, commercial signage around this area in northern Rhode Island, and it's beautiful stuff. And uh, the vehicle wrapping, too, was a big thing. You see you know, all these beautiful photos of lovely farm scenes on dairy trucks and things like that. Uh, it's, it's, you know, chances you are that you did that. That's right. So uh, check out American Beauty Signworks, absignworks.com. Uh, sign, and it's uh, 345 Providence Street in Woonsocket, 401-767-2922. Also uh, in Warwick, Rhode Island, 401-372-2790. Check them out. Also, people have asked where they can get my books. Uh, question I appreciate. I've written a few. Where can we get your books? Thank you, Ben. That's a good question. You're welcome. Uh, you can get them online, of course, at Amazon.com, uh, or any bookstore can order them. Uh, and the name is Eno, E-N-O. For some reason, people put an S on that, but it's just one spelled backwards, actually. Yeah. So, uh, And you can also go to NewRiverPress.com. And also our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. There's a pl- you can get the books there, little buttons you can click and all this business so uh, if you get them from there uh, I will sign them because the, the orders uh, go across my desk um, when they come in so that way I can you know, know what to sign them and if you want to have a particular name there's an instruction uh, area in the order um, form and you can do that so check it out behindtheparanormal.com yeah. and uh, so let's get back to our subject here uh, ghosts who are not honest okay there have been there have been a number of cases that I've been involved with, and, and also um, and, and every time Ben walks into a case too, and when we work together, it seems as though he very easily communicates with these entities. And as a matter of fact, yesterday um, they knew who you were, didn't they? Yep. Yeah, that's something that, that can be a shock when you're not used to it. But I'm used to it. I'm a, I'm used to it too. Yeah. So don't worry. About exactly. It. And they very often have a a t- tendency to pretend to be. Uncle Charles, you know, who who died two years before, and you see him skipping down the hallway before breakfast, that sort of thing. And if if you, okay, and if you uh, are able to um, uh, get around their tactics, again, you you find that they are pushing buttons in order to eat. Parasites will, uh, uh, known in folklore as demons or whatever you want to call them, will push buttons by getting people upset. In many cases, such as as the Burlville case, one of the tactics was to pretend uh, to actually create audio sounds and uh, pretend to be other members of the family and say insulting things. They, the, the the kids would hear people calling their own names and saying insulting things in the voices of other members of the family. This is very common. And I hear this all the time. This is just one of the tactics to get people uh, upset. Now we have a call. Uh, Joe is on the line. Joe, uh, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hello there. How you doing? Uh, there we go. Uh, Am I on? Have we got... He, oh, Okay. Uh, we we we, uh, we can't hear him. We got a button problem here. Can the audience hear him? Okay. Can I have the earphones, please? All right. Thank you. No. Okay, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Oh. A couple of audio glitches here. Yeah, I just got out of work, and I tuned the radio on, and I heard what you're talking about, and I said, Jesus, a new show? I, I can attest there are spirits. Without a doubt, we lived, uh, me and my wife, we lived across the street from the Precious Blood Cemetery. Okay. You know? That's in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Right yeah. at the bottom of Diamond Hill Road, yes. Yeah. And we lived there about five and a half years, and we had strange things. Now, it was in the whole house, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just our apartment. And uh, radio going on by itself at 3 o'clock in the morning. Which is supposed to be the devil's hour. I don't. I don't know. Well, a lot of uh, things happen around that time. Yeah. And uh, I one day I was laying down with my headphones, listening to some music, and all of a sudden, full blast! I took it off. What the heck is it? I go to my receiver, and I'm putting it's all the way up. The volume's all the way up, and I'm putting it down. And it's going up. I'm putting it down. It's going up. I said, "What?" I had to shut it. Shut it off. Thank God I had my headphones and not the speakers on. No, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I said, what? And uh, this and that, uh, I come home, and uh, I have a pug, a female pug, Chloe. And uh, she always used to come to the door. You know, she wants a treat, you know. And I come home, and Chloe, Chloe, and I look for her, and she'd be hiding on the side, in the back of the couch, like, you know. And I called her, I said, what are you doing over there? Come on and see Dad, you know. And, and she'd be slowly looking. You know, walking toward me, looking around both sides, and definitely scared. You know, uh, I had someone, a friend who had a psychic friend, and I said, "Hey, you tell him to come to my house. Tell him to come to my house. I wanted to because this strange thing's going on." And uh, so she came over, and she just uh, we met her outside, and I said, "Hey, here you go." She says, "Let me open the door." And she just held the handle of the, the doorknob, and she said, whoa, something's here. I said, well, I know that. I know yeah. something's there. And uh, she said, I got, uh, there is a spirit in your apartment. I mean, without a doubt. You know, and she just, yeah. bad vibes. It was like a restless spirit, mean, uh, uh, unhappy. Uh, I said, good, well, well, you know, me and my wife are looking at her, you know, and, and uh, I said, well, check out, you know, walk around. And, and I said, she says, uh, which room is that? That's our bedroom. She walked in and she says, he's here. I said, he's here? He's here in your bedroom. I said, oh, great. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Well, yeah, so, very common. A lot of um, strange things happen. Yeah. But the most unusual thing, and we, I, you know, every morning I used to go outside have a cigarette with my cup of coffee, you know, and, uh, but it was one day, it was a Saturday afternoon, my wife took a, a basket of laundry, she's going to do do some laundry downstairs in the cellar, we had a washer and dryer, coin operated for the tenants, and she opened the door, she had the basket, and she didn't close the door all the way, it was open about maybe six inches, you know, I said, well, she's coming right back up, I'm laying down looking at TV. Okay, and there was a click, and my dog stopped barking. I looked at my dog, and she's looking at the door, and I looked at the door. I said, are you kidding me? It was the deadbolt turned and sticking out. Now, you can't, you got to turn a deadbolt. It doesn't turn by itself. 
And that's what it was. I said, are you that's right. kidding me? And so that's a, I, I guess, it's a strong spirit to do something like that. And Very was, true, yeah. And there was one other thing that happened. Uh, for the folks in Woonsocket, it's 173 Diamond Hill Road. It's past the Rathman Street Light. It's a white house with a red. Door. Okay, well, we, we we don't we generally don't like to give addresses because well, it's okay. People give them. And I when it was first moved, I said, "What's what's this is your house?" Uh, excuse me. This is your house. No, it was a, a tenant's house. It was a five uh, uh, people a tenant house. Okay, well, all right, well, go but ahead. It was, well, anyways, uh, this red door is very very heavy. You know, it's like a spring loaded type thing. Uh, you, you open it and you and it's very heavy you can feel the weight of the door and as you walk in it just closes okay there was a a problem in the cellar with the boiler and me and a, a neighbor upstairs we went downstairs to check it out and as we we did that we came back toward the front of the house and to our amazement the red door was swaying back and forth like it was plywood I said do you see this he says yeah I said that's impossible which it is impossible mm -hmm. because it's so heavy it, unless you push the door from you know going outside uh, it would open but to go like back and forth it's impossible and as we walked toward the door it just closed yeah very well, strange. Have you have you found that uh, have you had experiences like this all your life, or, or you feel it's just the places you've lived? Oh, it's that that uh, that apartment, that apartment. I see. Uh, okay. Well, Joe, thank you for calling well, in. The stories are very interesting, and I, I I do have a couple of thoughts on this. You know. Okay. And, uh, one more thing. Yeah. Uh, we uh, there was some people that go to the the cemetery at night, late at night, past twelve o'clock. And they're into that uh, spirit thing, you know. And uh, I had gone over and I talked to the gentleman. He's with his wife. And uh, we were walking and his wife was taking photographs in back of us. And then she showed, I said, these round balls, like little round balls. You stick. I said. Yeah, the orbs as they yes. call Yes. Yeah. What are those? Well, <laughs> Half the time, they're dust or insects caught in the flash of the light. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, but they, I, but I, they are. They some of them are real. I've, I've seen them with the naked eye. Circular. I've had them follow me. I've had them change colors. They were circular and yep. they were small, medium, large. Mm -hmm. And I could see. I said, "What are yeah. those things?" No, I hear you. I hear you. you know? Yeah, but very strange, though, huh? Very much so. Uh, yeah, as I, I say, they, uh, it, wrote, were, they wrote books about. Uh, Precious Blood Cemetery. I guess it's the well, most haunted cemetery in the state of Rhode Island. I had a very interesting experience myself at Precious Blood Cemetery, photographically speaking. And this goes back some years. I was uh, putting together a slideshow for one of my lectures, yeah. and I happened to, and I used slide film, and I was at the grave of Marie Rose Farron. Right. Whom right. I'm sure you know, yeah. Yes. And around here in Winston, now this is an international show, so I don't expect everybody to know who she was, but just for, uh, local folks know right. uh, that she was a reputedly very holy young woman yes. uh, who had the stigmata 
right. of Christ, the wounds of Christ, uh, you know, uh, reportedly on her body, and uh, became quite a sensation in, in this area in the 1920s and 30s. And she's buried in this Precious Blood Cemetery, right. lovely flat stone, and there's, there are always flowers, and her yeah. biography is on the stone. Yeah. So I, I stopped to take a few pictures of this, and in a series of five photographs, the first one was just black. You know. The second one was a little bit lighter. The third one looked like a light was coming from her stone. And I'm a military-trained photographer, and I've been a journalist for 30 years. You know, I mean, I kind of look very seriously at right. how photography is, and I know when there's something weird or not. You know. Yeah. And the fourth photograph, the light was brighter. The fifth photograph. Uh, it was it was almost stone, but you can see a light coming from her stone, illuminating, uh, illuminating as it were the stones around her, and you could see and you can compare it with the cloud formations in those photos with with the normal photographs, and it's the same cloud, so you can see it's taken at the same time. Right. So uh, this is a very interesting area in Woonsocket. Right. Um, it's um, the whole Blackstone Valley is interesting, but. There seems to be a lot of, and it's, it's interesting that you pointed out, Joe, the electrical phenomena that accompanied your experience. Uh, we often see that because uh, ghosts, quote unquote, are essentially electrical. You know, the whole phenomena, yeah. electromagnetic fields, and this business. And uh, as I say, uh, personally, I don't believe we're dealing with with spirits because otherwise, you know, how, you, why are they wearing clothes? Why do you hear farm implements in the case of that village of voices thing I was talking about? Uh, you know, and, and uh, I think we're uh, dealing with people in parallel worlds, which is much more exciting, in my opinion. But in any case, maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong. Yeah. But, uh, but you thank know, you. We, we got another film, caller here, and about I, that film. Now you, you tell someone it's probably the defective film. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's Joe, I'm, I'm, okay, said. Joe, I'm going to, we're kind of running out of time. I got oh, thank I'm, you, my friend. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, great okay. to call in again. It was okay, great to talk to you. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, and we have uh, Steve uh, from New Hampshire. Guys, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. Um, we see, we got Steve? Okay, yes, I guess not. Oh, we do have Steve. How you doing, yes, Steve? Do. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Good, good. Steve Fermani. Steve Fermani is the direct director of New England MUFON, nice the Mutual UFO, UFO Network. And is your... What? No, I, I laugh if it wasn't Steve Fermani. It was some other guy named Steve who happened to be at the UFO festival oh. that day. <laughs> well, well, there are coincidences. I know that I know his very genial and friendly laugh. So that that's Steve. So I hear, I hear Ben there too. Exactly. How you doing, Ben? Good. Are you? I was I was in mid yawn, so yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Ben keeps our feet on the ground. So Steve, um, we uh, we've been saying on the air what a wonderful time we had at the UFO festival, how well organized it was, how great it was to meet uh, many of our guests uh, who have uh, were speakers there, uh, including yourself certainly, uh, Stan Friedman and uh, uh, Phil Imbrogno, uh and uh, um, of course uh, Peter Robbins, Robbins as well. So uh, what was uh, how did the festival go? Uh, was it was it as successful as it looked? It, it was fantastic. Even with the threat of a hurricane, uh, we did far beyond uh, what uh, our wildest dreams. It could have been even better without the threat of a hurricane because that kept a lot of people from... from oh, running. I know it, yeah. Yeah, we had Hurricane Earl uh, sort of creeping up the coast uh, the day before the the event, uh, which took place on September 4th, Saturday, September 4th, and we were a little concerned about whether we would be able to go or not, but it... Yeah, I had a little rain, and, and Stan Friedman driving down from New Brunswick said he didn't run into any bad weather either, so it all worked out very well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I joked with uh, Peter Robbins on uh, on Friday afternoon. I said, well, we're the only UFO festival that comes complete with its own hurricane. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. And, of course, the reason it was held in Exeter uh, was largely because that was where the first major, at least covered by the press, uh, event in the, the world of abductions occurred, Barney and Betty Hill, in 1961. And uh, can you tell us uh, if that area, I hear it's, it's always been active, UFO-wise. It has been active UFO-wise, and I, I think a part of it, it has to do with there is a connection between Pease Air Force Base in Roswell, New Mexico. Okay, um, all right. I never heard uh, that. The, uh, the, uh, there was a squadron. I, I forgot the exact uh, squadron name and number, but they used to transport uh, different artifacts and things back and forth, uh, you know, from the East Coast to the uh, out to New Mexico. And uh, it's the same squadron that was involved in the uh, Roswell uh, in the Roswell case. I never realized so, that. Yeah, there is a connection between the two. Okay. Could you tell us uh, just briefly about the Betty and Barney Hill case? Well, Betty Betty and Barney were traveling. They had gone on a vacation up to Canada. And they were on their way back. Uh, They came to a a spot in New Hampshire called Indian Head. And they noticed a bright light in the sky. Uh, Soon, the light turned into a disc-shaped craft. And they could actually see on the front of the craft a series of windows where they thought they could see beings inside the windows. Uh, they moved along down the road, and uh, the next thing they knew, they were on this, uh, they had turned off somewhere to this secluded road, and these beings were standing around them. They allegedly took them aboard the craft, and, uh, did physical examination among a num- amongst a num- number of things and uh, the next thing they knew they were back in their vehicle they arrived home but it was like a couple hours later than they were supposed to arrive home and they had no uh, no actual memories of what had happened to them mm-hmm. that's pretty much the, you know, the story in a nutshell yeah well, I remember that. Yeah. Well, that's quite a thing, and I think one of the one of the goals of the festival is to uh, draw attention to that and to make Exeter really kind of the Eastern Roswell, huh? Well, that and um, the uh, Norman Muscherello case, which happened back in the 1960s. He was uh, Norman was a 19 year old. Uh, he was he was hitchhiking. He was just ready to go into the Navy uh, to go. Uh, he was going to be going to Vietnam during the Vietnam era. And he was hitchhiking, and he was buzzed by a UFO. But it actually came down so close that he had to, he dove onto the onto the road really? to avoid the thing uh, hitting him. He finally got into town, went to the police station, and the police officers. One of the police officers went out to the area with him and witnessed the same crap. There were also two other police officers in separate locations that also observed the craft in the sky that night. Mm-hmm. There was one witness, but three police officers witnessed the same thing along with him. And this is what the, that is basically what the incident at Exeter is about. Ah, it was a book okay. written by a, a yep. writer named John Fuller. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raymond Fowler from MUFON was one of the was one of the. Uh, was probably the head investigator in that case. Okay. And we often find in our work that uh, 
various areas of the paranormal overlap and of course we've started ghost cases and ended up with greys and ufos and all this stuff or sometimes both so i think the processes are the same and that's why we're, we cover it all on this show uh steve when is the next festival um, well, the next the next festival will be uh, we're hoping next year again. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I, I I think we're going to take a couple months off. And I don't blame <laughs> we'll start, you. Start up after the after the first of the year and see if we can get things organized uh, for next year. Very good. Well, you did a terrific job, and uh, thanks for calling in. We'll be talking to you very soon. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, it, it was a pleasure to have you up there. Oh, well, thank you for the uh, warm welcome. Well, yes, we'll thank hope you. to have you up there again next year. Oh, well, we'll be All there. Right. Thank you. Okay. okay. Take All care. Right. Steve, Steve Fermani, everybody, from New England MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, uh, one of the organizers, certainly, of the great UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire, September 4th. Check it out next year. Now, we have a very interesting email here. From This is from uh, Caleb Tovar in Monterey, Mexico, one of our listeners. And he's writing about something with some energy at work. I'd like to compliment him on his English, too. It's pretty good. Ben, uh, it's a long one. Why don't we take the first section there? Okay. Great. So, uh, Mr. and Mr. Eno. That's us. Yeah, that that is us. Hello. I want to send you my congratulations for your magnificent radio show. I like that adjective. Yes. Uh, I just knew about a couple... I knew about you a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm totally into the Enos, all right? That could be dangerous. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Anyway, um, I have a question for you. I work on an art gallery at Monterey, Mex- Monterey Mexico. It's located on a quite old house, about 120 years old, in downtown, and we have some situations with some quite heavy energy on one on one of the um, exhibit rooms. No big deal. Not, nothing big has happened. So, except the except that the uh, ambiance or the vibe of that room gets heavy and dense. I can say that it's not a big deal because it's harmless, but prevents pe- people from getting in or staying in the room and as the art gallery it reflects on money it takes a long time to sell something exhibited in that room that that's just an example because people don't want to stay there the rest of the place is a peaceful place with a lovely garden and fountains so we can resume with that whatever no resume we can um, assume that Whatever it is, is attached to that room only. Uh, my question is, do you know a way to clean the place? Uh, or maybe an idea or a suggestion. Okay, well, uh, to move toward an answer to that, I think we have to look at what is actually happening. And, of course, without actually being there, it's difficult to say. However, uh, what you say, Caleb, is, is a very... What you describe is a very familiar scenario to us. Uh, very often, uh, we have found that in it's not necessarily just one room. Sometimes there can be uh, a very strong electromagnetic field coming up from the ground. And what? And so what? Well, electromagnetic fields. And, and remember, I was telling Joe, who called that the ghosts are essentially electrical. And what I, mean, what I mean is that the boundaries between worlds are essentially electrical, and we believe we have actual photographs of these boundaries. People often see the very bright light 
uh, often in full, we have some photographs with uh, this very bright light, and on one side it seems to be one room, and on the other side seems to be another, taken with an ordinary camera, ordinary film, or, di- or digital, and uh, there's no reason why this should have happened except that we caught uh, the boundaries intersecting which they sometimes do, and which I think is the ultimate cause of all things paranormal. So what's probably happening here, Caleb, is that you may have had, there may be a a very, very negative thing happening in some parallel world that's relatively nearby in a broad sense of the term, and you end up with feelings of dread or feelings of heaviness. You often have this when you visit a place uh, if you are in the position of buying a new home and you walk into a house and you feel this way turn around and walk right out the door there are reasons why we feel this way these are part of parts of our instincts our survival instincts and they not only include being afraid of the saber-toothed cat or having funny feelings that the uh um, you know, some sort of uh, bear is going to jump on you from the tree, but it's also feeling that something is wrong with a particular place. And very often what's wrong is that you've got worlds colliding and intersecting where bad things are happening. And there are areas where the energies are right so that this does not happen. So I think that what we're dealing with in this gallery is a very common problem where something very negative is happening. Now, what to do about it? It is possible at times to close the door, so to speak, to separate the worlds, uh, the bubbles, as we were talking about earlier, and to make it uh, a healthier place. That is, you, that is often done by, uh, I call it, what do we call it, Ben? The, the uh, Peter Pan theory, right? Oh, yeah. Think happy thoughts, laughter, faith, good feeling, and especially love. And it sounds hokey and corny, but you know that's it's not. It, it, this is as, as I say, this is as real as it gets. We very often lightened the heavy atmosphere in such places simply by bringing in good feeling, positive people. Probably a, a practical answer might be to put in that exhibit area positive works of art, things that really uplift the spirit, uplift the soul. Uh, I would not be averse to having the, the place blessed by a priest or a sage burned in the Native American manner. Uh, well, very, uh, ben used that, that case yesterday that we yeah. were talking about. And this sort of thing. Anything positive that can bring in positive energy uh, might help that whole scene. And I'll give you an example quickly because we're coming down to the end of our hour. But there was a case in Cumberland, Rhode Island where uh, it was before Ben was working with me, but we went into a... It was probably before I was alive. Uh, you were little. <laughs> and we went into a house uh, that was having a, a lot of negative stuff had happened there. And there's a particular area they called the Secret Cellar. Now this book is, uh, I should say this case is recounted in my book, Footsteps in the Attic. And we went in there and you'd feel this heaviness. You'd feel this depression, sadness. And what we did was to have the whole family get together and they really did it well and and they just broadcast, if you will, or sent positive energy, compassion, love, faith, good humor toward this area and toward this person who somewhere in space-time was having an awful time and we were picking it up there uh, in that room and uh, it it worked. Uh, I got a call several weeks later from the young girl in the house that this had been a... uh, She'd had a dream uh, that the young man, whose name apparently was Kevin, had uh, been rocking her in a hammock out in the yard. 
and had the most beautiful smile on his face. And we apparently had done a beautiful thing, reached across the boundaries of worlds and helped a fellow human being. He wasn't dead, he wasn't a spirit, just a guy in trouble. And whether he knew it or not, friends from another world were helping him. And I think that that is a mind-wrenching concept, something that if we grasp it, gives us tremendous power to help others. And this is what we do, I guess, when we ask deceased relatives to help us. We do that all the time. Because they're not deceased. Nobody's dead. So in any case, I think this is an example of what you can do. Make it positive. Turn it around. Get people to do it together, because then it's really, really powerful. So that's what I would say. All right, so we're coming down to the end of our hour here. And uh, I guess we want to do our announcement here. Great. So uh, don't forget about the annual Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, next Saturday and Sunday, September 18th and 19th. There are Mothman tours, great food, interesting vendors, and exhibits. And the Mothman Museum alone is worth the trip. We've been there ourselves. Yeah, check out uh, www.mothmanlives.com for details. Great. And, uh, we also want to check out our website. Again, our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And also, I meant to say, uh, go on to the uh, Museum of Work and Culture gift shop in Woonsocket here. And um, my books are available there, too. All right. So many thanks to our producer. And that's Nicole today. And we'll see uh, you right here next Monday, September 20th, uh, WON, 1240 AM, and onworldwide.com at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. Uh, we'll have our good friend, author, and investigator, Tom D'Agostino, one of our local uh, ghost experts here, a good friend of ours. He's going to be talking about his latest investigations and do some uh, work, uh, do some uh, uh, playing of some EVP, some, uh, some electronic voice phenomena, which uh, we have our, you know, skepticism about but hey it's good stuff it could be real and on our regular Sunday show on September 19th uh, 7pm Eastern 4 Pacific on CBS Radio in Detroit Boston and Seattle and online at www.newskyradio.com and www.parax.com we're on I'll play that guy told us he heard us on his iPhone Uh, anyway Ben and I will continue our discussion on the nature of ghosts that we started this evening a lot more to talk about on that alright so check out our show website again www.behindtheparanormal.com for local radio schedules and CBS stations that carry us and you can always get free podcasts on our show website again www.behindtheparanormal.com Okay, we'll leave you with a quick quote tonight Uh, Okay, that actually I made and found its way into the literature I don't believe the ghosts are spirits of the dead because I don't believe in death. In the multiverse, once you're possible, you exist. Once you exist, you exist forever, one way or another. Oh, see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.